just hung out there, checked out the snow. It's about waist deep. <laughs> oh, geez. Miserable up there. Yeah. So do you snowmobile into it? Actually, I keep it plowed. I pay a guy. There's, there's another fellow that lives down that road, so we kind of split the, the plowing costs. But I keep it open. We're actually going to have another uh, retreat up there next weekend. So I was just trying to figure out what what all needs to be done. We'll have 13 guys up there next weekend. Oh, that'll be cool. Right on. And hopefully I can get, I can get uh, some friends up and do a cat camp. Usually we spend a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of times, four to six days or something doing cat hunts up there. But it's just been tougher this year with COVID and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Work has been getting in my way. Huh? What the hell with COVID? It's just work. <laughs> like, it's been killing my cat hunting. Ability. That's not what I heard. I heard, I heard you went yesterday. I did though. I mean, that's one of the first things. There's, there's comes. So there's a point, Phil. So like when the season starts, it's like, yeah, you got time and oh, it works and work. And then by the end of the month, when you count in the weeks, I look at the calendar and I start counting the weeks over and over and over and over again. I'm like, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. There's only four weeks left. Yeah, there's only four left. And at that point, I'm like, screw it. I'm going. And, and so I always, this happens every year. True story. Well, we've, we've had horrible conditions, hardly no snow the last month. And uh, finally it started to spit snow and, the Amish assassin decided to go to his beach house in Florida. So I'm kind of <laughs> on my own now. It's challenging. But so I went yesterday. We, and uh, are we rolling, Jason? Or? Yeah. Of course okay. we are. We're on, we're on. Is there stuff you want to talk about in secret and hush so we can hide, hide from the customers? Yeah, the, I, just, the I, just want, I, I just want to. So we had to stop for a minute because Phil had some super sensitive secret stuff he wanted to fill us in on but um anyways he was we were talking about cat hunting and i always i don't know if i said this before but at the at the beginning of the season you got all the time in the world to hunt and so your your work kind of you know what i mean you just it's like oh and then december comes you know black friday and then december we're busy and then and then about january i start feeling like i'm getting the short end of the stick you know and then by the end of january which is like right now I'm counting weeks and on the calendar and I look at the weeks for the close of the season and I'm like, one, two, three, four. <sighs> and I count them again. Like, I mean, I miscounted, you know what I mean? And, then, and, and at some point I'm just like, screw it. I'm going hunting. So I just told the shop, I'm like, this week looks good. The weather looks good. I'm gone. And so I went, uh, but anyways, so we went and I mean, I got piles of, ex I mean, you want to hear my excuses or, I mean, do you want to, I want to hear the excuses first and then I want to hear the real stuff. <laughs> All I got is excuses. I don't have the other part, man. I don't want to let you, let you down, but I got, I got excuses. There's we, uh, four-year-old puppy probably. Right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I actually, I'll start with that excuse. Um, shy when my blue dog, but she's a pretty good staple to the pack, you know, especially on the tree side. Um, it was maybe Saturday I was out and I let him out. I was, I hunted, got more excuses. Um, almost got a ticket from a, uh, national forest law. I was on a closed road. I didn't even know I was on a closed road, but there was no snow hardly. And, uh, he didn't know it was a closed road. <laughs> Thankfully he didn't know he was chasing somebody else that come from this one road. He was up, he was chasing tracks down and he ran into me and uh, he's like, 
you know, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm, I'm hunting, you know, and, and, I, and he said, well, did you come up past that road close sign? I go, no, no, sir, I didn't pass any road close sign. He said, you, you're not the one that drove right around. I said, no, I, I, I seen the tire track. Um, that wasn't me. You could look at the tire tracks. I mean, you can see, I, I, I know exactly the tire tracks you're talking about. But by the way, I was heading that way, so I was going to drive out of that, that road that apparently I'm not going to. And, you know, I was just honest with him. I said, but I was actually heading out that, that, that road. I'm not going to say the road not name, but and uh, he kind of looked at me, and I go, so I was totally planning on driving out that side. I didn't realize it was closed, you know, to snowmobiles. And uh, anyways, uh, so I said, so I, I'm going to turn around and go back the way I came, if that's all right with you. Good choice. <laughs> and, I, and I said, by the way, you got a card. Yeah, I took his card, and, and uh, uh, you know, we were, we were discussing which way, if that truck around the sign if it's seen the closed road sign or it was doing like i was doing you know me coming out that side and uh anyways i seen some tracks down the road that i could tell what direction that truck was going so i texted the guy and i said uh you know by the way that that truck that you were trying to follow came out that that road so he didn't drive past that road close sign either um, I just ask you this is is that a loyalty to potential houndsmen or is that um you know, by, by not collecting the reward money for what? Oh, for you <laughs> for turning yeah. him in. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't think it was a hound guy. Cause he didn't, it didn't act like the tire tracks didn't, I mean, it didn't, you know, didn't act. And so I told him, I said, ah, that guy was in front of me. I was off a turn road and he came through and uh, he texted me back, by the way, that other road you're on was also a seasonally closed road. Uh, so I'm like, all right, I will do some homework and, and check into that. Have a nice day, officer. It's for the second time. <laughs> oh man. Oh, sometimes being honest, you know, you it's like he didn't give me a ticket. He had every right to give me a ticket, but he didn't. So what? Uh, that's the epic part of your day? No, that was last week. Oh, 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 yeah. That was See, just I got the rock rough start. We were talking about your cat. You didn't so, catch, buddy. So I left that. The, that was just oh, one you, part of the excuses. Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> so anyways i come out of there before that incident i i i ran a i got too many i got too many stories phil that don't end up with with trophies and trees but i had a, I was running a track that was covered up and uh, i thought it was going the other way and the dogs were going what i thought was backwards and i was kind of getting frustrated so i was like screw it let them go and you know maybe they'll turn around eventually and um so about the time they start moving and i'm like you cuss word cuss word you know so i i i tone them i start calling them off and toning them because they're up on this road ahead of me and so they come down and it mock 40 cross the road and keep going mock 40 and burning out of there and i'm like what in the hell is going you know what i mean like i'm the last track i seen was a covered up track you know and it was it was covered up and it snowed the night before you know that night so it wasn't a fresh track so about that time i'm scratching my head like either these dogs are really stupid or which is a true that normally that's what happens. And, uh, so I walked down, I looked down, there's a fresh bobcat track. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Give so, it to them. Maybe I should be a little more gentle. You know what I mean? So I got dogs going up that way. I got dogs. I toned back and, and I, I don't know if they came in and switched tracks to another backwards. I don't, I, I never did catch a cat there, but I, I had a couple different cat tracks going a couple different directions. And, my track petered out and so anyway so that was before the incident with the law enforcement 
Nate Law, so my day just got better <laughs> when I ran into a, the, the, the law enforcement guy. It was like puckered up, like whenever he was talking about crowed clothes, and I was like, crap. And then, so, anyways, I, I come back in and I let the dogs out to, to get a drink of water before I head home, you know, because I got like a two hour drive home. Somehow, my dog stuck, jumped in this like log jam and jammed a stick right up between its toes. And uh, so, I didn't notice it right away but I just noticed she was limping. And so I looked at it and I, I threw her up and anyways, I was driving out of there and got a big old roaring strike. So I held her back and didn't catch cat number two. You know, I don't, I call it don't catch it cause I never seen the cat, but I, I ended up in a, a log jam with a soft tree. So I, I, I know there was a cat there somewhere, but you know, it's, how many excuses have my deep yet? I can't, I can't count At that least high. seven. <laughs> seven. So, <laughs> so anyways, that was my story is so, so that's why I didn't have that dog is I, he I ended up having to take it to the vet and they had a stick way up in there, a little piece of stick they had to fish out. And I'm still trying to get it better. Mm. So. Oh man. Yeah. Being short handed is no good. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that was, uh, really the slow dog, the slow dog that gets, uh, laid up too. Right. And so, you know, yesterday I had a couple instances, you know, so she's my, you know, what I'd call, she rounds out my tree. You know what I mean? Like if she's a really, really nice locate dog, you know, and I'm Bobcats that that's pretty helpful to have a dog that locates. Um, and so I didn't have her with me. So soft on the locate, you know, and, and, and then there's just a ton of, I got a ton of excuses, but you know, the truth is, is we just didn't catch cat. We worked on one and, and the rain came and they, I could, I could tell, I, I know what, what I think needed to change, you know, and, and a little more mouth would have been helpful to hold the pack together on some of that, that crappy, you know, conditions, you know, um, we were running one and, and it was like, we actually seen the cat, like, with my, my friend, he's not a houndsman, but he was with me. That's never a good sign. <laughs> right? That's <laughs> what I said. That's we were driving up there. Catch. We were driving up there, and I go, yeah, I think we're going to have pretty good conditions, you know, in the morning. I didn't, the, the afternoon it melted out, but I, he goes, oh, man, so we just see one cross the road. I'm like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> don't, I don't really want to see one cross the road, okay? <laughs> so I was telling him the story about, you know, sometimes you see him cross the road, and you just can't explain it. So anyways, we're two hours into this this track. And I mean, at one point I got my new pup who's starting to open up and she sounds ex exactly like a coyote. I mean, 100% like a coyote and I'm sitting there <laughs> scratching my head with this guy here going, I don't know if that's my pup or if that's a coyote and they are really <laughs> shitty at moving this track because if it is a coyote, they're doing a crappy job. Like this coyote right. must have scared or something. It's like they're walking a coyote and because uh, they weren't burning up, but it was making like little circles. And I mean, it was, it was weird. It was like a jump track on slow motion. You know what I mean? Like the, it, just the way it was. And, and at some point they're going to come out across the road. So I'm like, they're going to cross this road. Let's book down here. And so I booked down the road and I can see this good 400 yard stretch and uh, waiting for the dog. I said, those dogs are across the road. So he throws his binos up and, and sure enough, he sees the dogs, right? You know, first dogs and they go across the road, check nothing. They go back. They checked across the road one more time and go back. And then they find it lined out parallel to the road and, push it on and turn back down so the, so the animal which i probably more than 50 percent was thinking it was a coyote at this time you know based on my my the awful sound of my pup um 
so I hop on the sled and I bomb down there and I check the, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't want to see the track. You know what I mean? I'm like, how am I going to see the, the, and I look, I see a cat track. I'm like, holy cow. You're like, that's not what I was expecting. And, uh, so anyway, what you I, went looking for though. Like, yeah. It's like you are, it's, it's like you are your dog's worst enemy. I mean, you just, <laughs> you don't buy anything. They tell you, you gotta, you gotta trust your, your dogs. Do you know, I guess another, another thing was I had a, a GPS collar fail. So before that track, um, I was running a dog without a collar. I mean, I just, I had, it. I, mm. the truth was I was kind of upset with this one dog. It was screwing up in the beginning. So I took the collar off that dog and I put him on my good dog. I'm like, at least go, I'll get the one dog back. If I don't get you back, I'm, I'll leave you out here for a night and come back in two days. But so I had a dog in the race without a collar. So I was, you know, not only was I anxious about a coyote, but I was anxious about that dog. And, you know, there's so many things I was doing wrong. Anyways, long story short, we so I, after that I settled down, let him run another hour. We got back in there and and uh, they weren't running it fast. You I mean it was just one of them? It was like a cold trail, but you know it wasn't a cold track. You know what I mean? You know the cat was right there, and, and it so was we're getting sitting, colder by the second. Yeah, <laughs> and he and and the, and, the, and the guy with me, he goes, "Oh, yeah, there's dogs right there." And I look at my GPS, and I'm like, "Right where?" Like, uh, you know, my dogs are. Uh, 120 yards away you know what i mean they're they're heading this way but i go tell me where you've seen that you know and so i I'm like you know because he's like thinking it was a dog and i'm like yeah that, that, that wasn't a dog so I, I we run up there and sure enough there's a cat track right where he he had pointed and you know wait for the dogs and they just i mean it's almost like they like nothing was there painful that's that is painful wait waiting for them when you're standing on the track yeah. And you're trying to get them to come to you and they're going, We're, we'll get there when we get there. Exactly. Like, yeah, well, I'm doing something here. So I'm, we're, we're, your work, horses. we're working here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, and, and, uh, about that time that one dog without the collar come through and she's a little quieter than I like, you know, and, and I, yeah, I was talking to somebody about the mouth of a dog, you know, too, too much mouth, too little mouth. That's one of the issues of too little mouths that I have is she could get in there, she'd crank on a little bit, but she wouldn't call the other dogs to her. And in that situation, that was, it was death on that track. You know what I mean? Um, she, for, she wasn't able to contribute the way that she normally would. I mean, a, a mouthier dog would. Yes, yes, because she would call help up there, and then they'd scatter up and, and find it, and, you know, and they could have shortened that track up. But because she was, it was just the two other, my puppy sound like a coyote. She was giving more mouth than she was. And then um, my little red dog. And so whenever they barked, everybody would go together and then they re rehash from that point. Whereas she would get it for a little bit and then she'd search around and while she's searching around another dog come up and it just, it was disjointed. You know, you could just see real time how Ooh. something like that happened. Slow motion train wreck. Yeah, it was destroyed. So you mentioned a collar failure. Um, I had a friend this week. Uh, I he, I lived through him vicariously. He he texts me play by play of a lot of his hunts, and yeah. he's an outfitter hunt, hunts full time. So um, they're probably better stories be a, than mine, probably. <laughs> this one didn't end well, but he <laughs> uh, he w went past a a bait station. Well, it was like a, uh, bobcat cubby 
and a bobcat had been there, uh, a trap site, and a lion had been there, and a lion had eaten eaten the bait, but he turned out on the bobcat, and uh, he caught it, and he di didn't shoot it, and when he got ready to leave, he put four pups in with another two older dogs, and as his pups were coming back, they got all sidetracked, and were they weren't all at the tree. They were kind of scattered around, and uh, he had this one dog uh, that he raised in the house. I mean, his pick of the litter, and this dog was out buggering around, and he started toning him. He was back at the truck, and the dog was coming, and when the dog went from 400 yards to 300 yards, it just st stopped. It, w it went dead. And he couldn't figure out what was going on, uh, said lost signal. Well, he went in there and he could not find the dog where the signal was lost, but there was tracks there. And he followed it a couple hundred yards. And that dog, that lion had laid up there and that dog was just bonking around there. And he happened to go bonking right by that lion and the lion caught him, killed him. Oh, and man. Uh, whatever, I don't, it took him a while to sort it out, to find the dog and figure it out. But uh, he said that that collar went dead, and for a half an hour while he was looking for the dog, he couldn't find it, and you know he couldn't get a signal or anything. So I don't know what happened exactly, but from what he told me, I said I asked him if he killed the lion, and he said no, it was just a lion doing what lions do, you know, waiting for something to come by to kill and to eat. And uh, I said I think I would I would have had to kill the lion, and he said. It was a pretty good. He said, "Kelly, I did not fill my empty heart tonight, but this glass of scotch will." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and he he drinks to lost dogs. He's he's lost. He lost one in a snare the week before. And uh, oh man, so that's rough. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, however, that, that, go ahead. However, he did he did uh, avenge himself. He had a, a cat kill four dogs made up on the ground and just went straight to work like sucking them in and crushing their skulls and he he was 100 yards when they caught him on the ground and by the time he got wading through that deep snow that lion had killed all four of his dogs that was five years ago and this cat had a very distinctive track and he and he had to watch it the client couldn't get to him and he had to watch that that cat walk off oh, and man. so that that's been his white whale for yeah. five years and uh he, he caught that cat with two of his pups this year sent me pictures of it it was eating a tree that it was in Which, and he he had a hunter come the next morning and they they ran it again and killed it but so it's a harsh world out there for for those little four-legged dogs yeah and i i wonder sometimes because we've we talked about it like if it's wolves pressuring cats you know or um I, yeah. I I gotta think that has a a big part to play in it. Yeah, it, it puts so much pressure on those cats that they just you know they I don't know like because we've kind of been seeing some of that on the rise too, and it's just there's no explanation on what what that mentality change is. Um, you know, and one of the things I worry about is as I'm learning more about this is a fast one fast dog can seems to be the one that gets it right. And so I, you know, I, I was telling somebody I'd rather not have just one fast. I'd rather have a pack together because 
you know, j- just having that one dog that slips out quietly and doesn't keep the dog. I'm like, man, that that's a pretty dangerous feat for that one dog. Three, three, three years ago, I, I treated, had a, drew a tag here and treated a really nice Tom right behind my house. And I wasn't the first one to the tree. I wasn't the fast dog, but when my buddy got there, um, his dog had treated the cat first. Yeah. And the cat was with, with a female on a mule deer that they had killed and they haven't even started feeding on it. And, uh, when he got to the tree, his dog was dead. And what I think happened was the cat came out of the tree, killed the dog, and then the other dogs rolled in and it climbed back up the same tree. And then it bailed, and by the time I got to it, it, it was just kind of a mess. But, yeah, I think one dog, some of these cats, you know, are used to dealing with one or two wolves. And I think there's some that specialize in killing wolves and some that will look after themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, Jason, have we even talked to do, do our guests know who are – or, or, or do our listeners know? Listeners, guests, li- I'm full. I don't, I don't think we've formally introduced. We have the cat man with us today. Mr. Phil Susi. Take two. We actually tried to do a podcast before, and, <laughs> and Phil was like, I don't know, I'm, he, we got to redo that. <laughs> we, we let him do, do over. I was re- really nervous. I, I, just, <laughs> I knew this thing was going worldwide, and, uh, and I just... My nerves got the best. I, mean, I got stage fright. Starstruck from the J- Jason had you starstruck. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the moment that beard flashed on the screen, it was like, oh my <laughs> word! It's a big bar. <laughs> you you can't see you the listeners can't see the light behind is like a glow around Jason's the halo right here, and it's like the red beard. If you, just a visual, he's got this yeah. big mic, like a big mic, and then the sun is behind Jason, like a now. Harry Joe Rogan. Yeah, kind of <laughs> <laughs> bigger than life, though. Right. Than so, he, so Phil had a little practice, and probably good. We were all over the place on on that last one. We weren't really structured, were we? No, no, we were not. Because with Phil, it was short notice. Even this one, I I emailed him yesterday to see if we could get this going again. So, thanks for accommodating Phil for the short notice uh, podcast. Worked out for me, fine. Yeah. So I I have so Phil is a. Uh, can we just say world-renowned taxi? So we're going we're gonna to gen you back up. You're like a world-renowned taxi. He's bona fide. The only bonafide. thing you need to know is that my reputation exceeds me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You, you do some really nice uh, cat work on taxidermy. And, and uh, I got one of your pieces, actually two now. Like maybe you say three. My, my links you did and, and uh, Loris Cougar. And they are just really nice i mean when i i still to this day five years i don't know how, how long that cougar was it was a long time ago but i still look at that thing like oh it's awesome i wish people like we, we need to get a picture of it and put it put it up somewhere because when you yeah. walk in your house it's it's interesting how a guy judges years a dog guy judges years i don't know what year that was or how long ago it was but we went when we were over there we picked up a pup and yep. right now that pup is gray in the face and he's old. <laughs> and so, a couple years, I mean, man. It's, it's a dog's life ago. You know, ten, 10 years, maybe. Nine or 10 years. Nine <laughs> yeah, years. It probably, now that I think about it, I think it was 2010. That, yeah, that, 11 years. So ago. I would have picked it up maybe 2012. So that's eight years. So a couple years. Just yeah, one dog, one dog generation. <laughs> it looks um, awesome. 
The thing's got yeah. muscle structure like crazy. One thing about cougar mounts is there's a lot of bad ones. Like whenever you go somewhere and you see, there's a lot of bad cat mounts out there. Yeah, there is. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think part of it is a lot of guys don't get a lot of cats to practice on. Right. Because, you know, you, people talk about doctors practicing medicine. I mean, taxidermists practice taxidermy. <laughs> uh, I mean, ideally, you know, you, you, you get better. Obviously, there comes a point where, you know, your faculties diminish and your experience can carry you. But then you're, I don't really care as much as I used to takes kicks in and um you know as you get older you're supposed to get better but um, sometimes there's a fight there but we're always struggling to to learn new stuff and try different poses and that's the only thing that keeps me interested because it's not as fun as it used to be as it has become a job yeah but trying to trying to be creative helps and you do a lot of your own mountains too, right? Like the mannequins? Yeah, I have several molds that we pour our own forms, but almost, I was just thinking about it. We spent $80,000 less on mannequins this year than we did, um, say, five years ago. And, and so most all of the poses that we're doing, especially on toms, um, are, are poses that I can make out of three different forms and probably 60% of them out of one different. I just did two laying down cats this week and they, they respond off of standing forms by just doing some crouching legs and pouring them separately and attaching those. So they're all kind of original to what we do in uh, in a perfect world. I would be able to have time to mold some of those, you know, clean them up really good and mold them. Mm-hmm. that's kind of where I want to be rather than spend my whole, spend my whole day altering mannequins, making forms fit skins. Yeah. And then I have, I have a crew of guys that that can handle skin application in that, that uh, probably do a better job than I would. So, so do you think, um, is it the structure, the bone structure or the muscle? I mean, what, what is it that, that makes a cat, a cat if that makes sense you know because i mean well, you, I mean, you see those bad ones it's like well that doesn't i mean you can see it's a cat because of the skin but it's just goofy it's not well obviously the face i get a lot of people that that say hey man i want you to mount my cat because the face the head looks like a cat head um to me it's from the tail to the nose all of that's important one of the things i think the biggest thing is a guy's eye, his ability to look at something and interpret what it is. The eye is really important. Catching features on, um, I, I get most of my reference from two-dimensional photographs. I've seen hundreds of cats in trees and very rarely do I study the anatomy, maybe the positioning in the tree or something, but do I notice something on a, on a live cat 30 feet up in a tree that I say, oh man, Look at the nictitating membranes in the front corner of the eye. Look how that, you know, I'm, I, I don't even notice that. You know, I'm looking to try to age it and sex it and that sort of thing. But having that eye. So you're just a regular hound guy when you're in a tree is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And a- I honestly, I hate to watch cats die. I mean, it really, it really, it, yeah. 
bothers me to watch a cat die. So uh, I, you too. I, and you'd think being a taxidermist, I'd be the other way around. But I mean, you don't hear about a whole lot, lot of loggers grieving the death of a tree, but <laughs> <laughs> they smile. <laughs> but i think being able to uh read that reference or or interpret what's going on and then being able to manipulate uh the materials into what you're seeing is is what makes a good cat taxidermist. And there's a bunch of guys that are really good um everybody has their own style just like guitarists or wood carvers whatever um, but just trying to do things that people have never done and, uh, things that bounce around in your head at night in bed, it's, that's what makes it interesting for us. Yeah. What, so we were, we were talking a little bit before and you were, you were talking about the Snell, uh, Steve Snell podcast. And we we're talking about competition and stuff, right? And yeah. What's your thoughts on, on, you know, that was a gamble. Every other taxidermy sucks. Or Buddy any- did not know if that was going to be a good idea or not. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I'm glad we did it. Well, I think it was a good he called, one. He called me afterwards and he wasn't impressed with that question. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. Um, yeah. So taxidermists, if you can picture like junior high girls, mm-hmm. Um, the way they click up and snub each other. Yeah. That's kind of the taxidermy world. It's the same with the dog show circuit. You know, you go to yeah. Krupp's or Westminster, that's kind of how they are. They have, there. there's little allies, friendships and stuff. Houndsmen, same thing. But um, so when you walk by a really nice mount by somebody else, you're like, mm, that's all right. <laughs> no. You see that ear? <laughs> What's that? I bet those ears are in it. I bet if you touch those ears, they're an inch thick. (laughs) No, no. But early on, um, a lot of guys that are, that go to competitions, you know, they go there and they make friends and that, that environment has had changed taxidermy from the old school, the old guard, where if you went into a taxidermy shop and expressed any interest, you'd get the boots. I mean, any interest in becoming a taxidermist. It's like, this is a secret society and you need to, there's the door. But competitions and state associations, they changed that. And so taxidermists began to mingle and there were generally, there was alcohol involved. Um, So some great friendships were made, but also some great rivalries. And uh, I can honestly say there are guys that uh, made me better because I, I wanted to beat them and as misguided as all that fury and energy was, it, it did help me become a better taxidermist. Um, sometimes becoming a better person, you know, you go through that stuff. I remember you telling some stories on the Snellcast that, uh, uh, you know, where you were pretty fired up back in the day. And, oh, yeah. And uh, don't, don't really beha- <laughs> behave that way anymore. But, uh, yeah, there there's a... Anymore, I, I think um, just getting along with everybody is a lot more important to me than it used to be. Uh, I go to S- SCI and have a booth down there, and there's a guy here in town that he sometimes piggybacks off the outfitter, and he'll have a booth or be in a booth there. And I've had one year I had a couple guys come by and say, "Yeah, I was over there at that 
such and such booth and they told me that uh i saw the guy was from Monta libby montana he said well do, do you know phil and he he proceeded to tell me that you used to work for him and that he trained you and which wasn't quite true at all there was no truth to that at all but the first couple times i heard it i got all fired up i gotta go talk to him but <laughs> anymore I, anymore you just kind of got to chuckle. That, that must be a room i don't know where i heard it and i'm not gonna tell you if i did know but i heard that rumor somewhere oh yeah I, I, he trained under me and, I, and maybe it was true maybe it wasn't but it's funny how rumors keep going it's, I'm going to pass well, it along to the, the whole more, world right now. The more successful you are. I feel trained underneath me back before I had double U and I taught him everything he knows. The more successful you are, the more you learn about yourself. I'll tell you. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you, you can't be, you can't reach your potential without other people's help. And I, I believe that humans were meant to be in community. I talk to guys judging competitions. I talk to guys all the time and offer to help them in, in some way. And, and there are those guys that are way better than me at some stuff, but I may be able to give them a little something to put them over the top. Yeah. And I've had a couple guys tell me, I, I don't want your help. I want to do this on my own. And I think that, that, um, I mean, pride, is, it just gets in the way. It hinders people from reaching their full potential because, uh, you know, I think we're like a big pot of stew. And what you're born with is the ability, the desires that God gave you, and that, that's the broth. But, you know, if it's just potatoes and a rock in the bottom, um, you, you, you can't ever be that five-star gourmet meal. But, I mean, if by community being in relationship with other artisans and other people other peers you have the opportunity to learn so much and become maybe not your identity but as an artist as a houndsman as a musician whatever it is become something totally far greater than you could ever figure out on your own and so yeah so so what you said it changed a little bit you know so in the beginning it it wasn't as communal, you know, the taxidermy, you know, the click or whatever. What, is it the competition that changed it? Or, you, I mean, what, or is it I, I the internet? I think the association, well, associations, the National Taxidermy Association started a group that said, hey, we need to, we need to unite. I mean, this has been 40 years ago, but a lot of these states had their own associations and they would get together and have a convention and the competition was the core part of it. And it was basically like a house, like a field trial, you know, guys would go and there would be some guys that were just bent on having to win and had fast dogs. And I mean, a lot of guys would just take their hunting dogs and a lot of guys would run drags, drags for weeks ahead of time, condition their dogs, trim their nails, feed them canine super fuel, um, a, a Coke before a drag yeah. or something, you know, some, just something to get that edge. And taxidermy competitions were that catalyst. Everybody that does it, you know, they want to know, do I have what it takes? And they want to throw their, their hat in the ring. And then, then there's a lot of people that were fearful that didn't need that. But there were also people that were fearful and didn't want to do it and tried to diminish, you know, those silly ribbons. The guy just spent $1,000 to win a little blue ribbon. Right. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think that associations and competitions really built that community. 
and it's been mm. good. It, it's it's hurt the full-time taxidermist because they offer seminars and how to sell videos. Uh, suppliers don't just sell to full-time taxidermists anymore. You can, anyone can buy a deer form. Anyone can send a cape out to be tanned. And and that's hurt the full-time guys that you know have always wanted to guard this. Um, they've tried to license you in different states, make you pass a test like a plumber. And it, you know, competition is a, is actually good for any business. And yeah, it, it really it really weeds out uh, it supply and demand. I mean, the market is the best place to to sift through stuff. The market will always tell you where you're at. I mean, I mean, it's how I look at it because. Competition wise, I know Buddy and I have talked about this, but like I, I would never be in the position I am now as a person or as a professional without, I would say, the competition that Buddy and I had in years past, you know. And it's at that time, I couldn't take the advice, kind of like, you know, you offering somebody advice here or advice on this. But, you know, once you get to that point where you can and you realize the things that you were missing, you know, or the key points that you can bring to better your craft, it makes a big difference. You know, competition is is a good thing. It's just uh, you got to be willing to look a little deeper and, and see how you want to react to it. Or if you want to be like DC 40 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I learned it's much nicer. I can go hunting like yesterday. And Jason's a much nicer guy than I am. Like he's just, he's Usually. a people pleaser. And so I'm like, hey, you can be yeah, there's the happy guy. <laughs> a new title or I don't even know what it is right now. Yeah, I have to give you a big old title. He'd, he'd be nicer if you let him go hunting probably. What's that? He'd be nicer if you let him go hunting every day. Yeah, he gets a night shift. I take night about this. Okay, you're cutting out, Phil. I can't hear you anymore. We're gonna have, have a nice day. Yep. Well, I mean, it's it's good too to to find like-minded kings and and form alliances. You know, uh, not everybody is gonna click. Yeah. You're gonna run into people throughout your industry that may be uh, competitors on paper but you may find that you have a lot more in common to, yeah, uh, to share definitely. with each other. So. That's the truth. I know. I feel like Phil and I have known each other for generations here. Yeah. Like, I love talking with Phil. We had some really good talks on the phone and it very insightful, you know, cause it's like hound dogs or, or any kind of craft. Like you can look at it at surface value or you can look at it past that, you know, why is this dog not doing this instead of, Oh, the dog just isn't going to do it. You know, there's a reason or in our crafts, you know, what do we, what barrier do we have to break to get beyond that? So I, I just enjoy chatting with Phil. I've had a couple good talks. Yeah. yeah. So while we got an expert, like the world renowned ex, I'm just keep drumming. World up championship. There. World champion. What can we call you? Seven time. How many time world champion? Just call me Phil. Come on. <laughs> oh man, right, that was not good. We're trying to rally yeah. you up again. Let's talk about uh, cougar size, right? Because you see a lot of cats. You see a lot of, a lot of big cats. Um, so let's, let's do a little how-to on like judging a, a, a big cat. I mean, what, what can you give as advice or your, your information or something like that? Well, I, this is an area where um, there's a lot of varying information. And I can only go on, you know, what I've seen, what I've, with my own eyes. 
you know, I don't believe everything I hear or everything on the internet, but um, I'll even get guys. The 300, you're saying my 300 pounder is not 300 pounds. I didn't say that. Not everybody's killing 200 pound cats. <laughs> saying that, come on. You're the one I'm that you at, mounted it. You I, said, you, I thought you said this is 350. I'm only going to say what I know <laughs> to be a fact. And that's only things that I've seen. I get guys that send me pictures of the scale all the time. And it's like, oh, it's got to be true because there's no way somebody could be pulling on the paw of that cat, right. the, you know, pulling on its neck while it's hanging by its tail. Just to make a joke um, and you make it funny for somebody and that goes to the next guy and who knows. I wish I, I wish I had this. I wish I had this picture. Uh, I, I have a, a picture in my other office. And uh, some years ago when you had the, the, uh, the forum, I can't remember big game house. Oh, big big game I, I had a guy that had a fur farm in North Dakota and he sold me a Russian lynx and it was, I don't know what it weighed, but he sent it to me in a 12, 12 inch sonnet tube that was seven and a half feet long and uh, frozen. It was all stretched out. And Mike, my hunting partner, my wife's oldest boy had just come back from the cabin and it caught a nice big bobcat, like a 30 pounder. Uh, but he had stuffed it in his pack, so it was kind of balled up. And I said, he backed up to the shop, and I said, get on your dog box. I want to take a picture of that cat. And he got out and held it up. And I go, no, this cat. And I held him that length, and he stood on top of the dog box. And he's six foot. And he held that cat up where the hind feet were at top of his head, and the front feet of that cat touched the tailgate. And he was on top of the dog box. Oh. And, I mean, it looks like a 125-pound lynx. Um, right. It, it, it's unbelievable. So we posted it on there and we said, we've got this wampus cat. And I'm telling you, there was so much, there was a guy from Tennessee that just blasted us and said, you don't even know what a wampus cat is. You know, he was, <laughs> he was really upset, but we, we put it on there as a joke, but then we got a lot of inquiries about it. We just, we just had to keep telling this lie and form. <laughs> Eventually we got found out, you know, I'm, Surprised the feds didn't come or something, but I'll but, be damned uh, if I didn't get caught. <laughs> I don't know who said I'll that. You, but. I'll bet you somewhere back in their archive that that post is in there. We should, we should go find but it. But it, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it when I when we get off of here. Yeah. But um, so I only know what, what I've seen. I wouldn't say that I've seen the biggest cats. Uh, I've seen some cats that I think push the top end. Um, I think a hundred, a true bona fide 180 pound cougar is, um, I don't want to say as big as they get, but as far as giants, that that's like triple XL, you know, that that's big. Yeah. They will get heavier. Um, I mean, I've seen a number of them between 180 and 190, but, um, yeah, one, one thing that, you yeah. told me, wait, this is years ago, so maybe change your opinion on it, but you said there's there's big cats that are full and there's big cats that are not full. You know what I mean? The frame and as far as the weight of a cat can, can you know, just going by weight alone. Well, you can kill kill two cats that weigh the same, 150 pounds, and one will mount up way bigger than the other because cats carry their skin differently. Yeah. And, some some cat a poor cat is going to be thin skinned. They live on their reserves just like a February elk doesn't have that inch thick neck skin. I mean, right? They're paper thin. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I get 130 to 40 pound cats, lots of those type of toms. And some of them mount up like just roots. I mean, you could, I could pass them off and tell an experienced how and that's a 170 pound cat and they would believe it part of it is using the skin in such a way that gives the illusion the cat is bigger than it is um lengths of cats uh, you hear the word 60 or the number 60 inch long body sometimes i hear that on occasion i've only ever mounted one cat that was 60 that i made 60 inches long and it had a 45 inch girth and that that was the biggest cat skin i ever worked with and it, it was a 16 inch skull cat okay. it yeah. was number three at the time uh when they killed it but i try to make my cats a little bit shorter uh the legs a little bit shorter and that way i can give them more bulk and if you and have shoulder. a good thin skin yeah four legs and shoulder and if you have a good thin skin uh with a good tan you can literally make a greyhound bulldog out of it. And I, I tend to make want to make things beefier. Um, well, the one thing you can't do is you can't generally turn a female into a tom. You know, sometimes a guy will bring you a, a gymnast or a ballerina and point to a picture of a linebacker <laughs> in, your, in your gallery and say, I want this nose tackle, and he brings you a gymnast, you know. So, <laughs> I never even thought about that. But I mean, I don't understand why can't you just like this identifies in some male. You know? I mean, I could definitely sew some testes on them, you know, as a scrotum. <laughs> yeah, nudicles. Nudicles. I could, I could do that. In fact, that might be an option. Check with your local game enforcement officers first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, with the way things the world's going, I don't. I think I could start a new trend actually. you can fight that one <laughs> <laughs> it's not a tom or I mean, it's a it's a they cat this is a they cat <laughs> mm-hmm. they, yeah and they might let me start shipping back to california if that's the case right <laughs> oh. state's a mess when it comes to game stuff i know yeah right now they're trying to do away with bear hunting altogether i see that i see that i mean and those so the guys- other Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go back into into the size. We finished. Hey, I hate to interrupt interrupt you, but no, no, I want you to keep on the size for a minute because you haven't given any advice yet. Okay, so well, there's there's uh, numerous ways to judge the size of a cat. Weight is one. Um, skull mm-hmm. size, obviously, you, you can't lie about. Well, you can lie, but it can be verified. Weight can't be verified once you part one out. Um, and length of a cat. This is the one that gets me the most. Um, I. I hear people, I, okay, so when I mount a cat, I'm dealing with the tape measure, I'm dealing with the skin, and I'm, and I'm checking numbers all the time. And so I know a cat from the tip of his nose to the base of his tail that's over 55 inches is really big. One that's 57 is a very long cat, and anything above that is freak. I mean, ab, it's like a seven-foot human, you know. So... Right. So, so say those numbers one more time. So 60 inches is five feet. So five feet from the nose okay. to the base of the tail, um, excluding the tail, is extremely long for a cat. And I would say less than yep. one-tenth of one percent ever reach that. So, and then a tail, tail length varies from 28 to 34 inches. The longest one I've ever measured is 35 inches, but I, I don't measure tails. So if you figure uh, a three-foot tail which is the lo- longer than the longest one I've ever measured. 
and a 60 inch cat, which I've never measured a 60 inch cat on, on the carcass. That comes to eight feet. Okay. So the longest tail and the longest body is eight feet. And you still get guys that say they killed nine feet cat, nine foot cats or nine and a half foot cats. Now, if you skin a cat, it's like skinning a snake, you know, it really is going to stretch. Right. I remember doing those Texas, those uh, rattlesnake roundups in Texas. When they lay a live snake out and try to stretch him out and measure him, they rarely got a six foot snake, but you knock that thing in the head and pull the height off and it's seven and a half feet. So, you know, you can, you can hang a cougar hide by its nose and get 10 feet out of it probably. But carcass measurements, oh. a true measurement on the carcass, I, I just can't imagine anything over eight. I just can't. Now, I know totally reputable guys that say they've killed nine-foot cats, nine-and-a-half-foot cats, and I know totally reputable guys that say they've killed a couple of 200-pound cats. Well, one was 205 and one was 217, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I'm not going to tell them they didn't. I'm from Missouri, man. Show me. <laughs> show me. That's a show me state. Um, no, I. What? Uh, I won't argue. So when 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 you harvest one, it, are those measurements something that's helpful to you? Like if you're the, like, the oh, body measurement is, is. I rarely it? ever get it, but um, it gives yeah, me no, an I, idea. Imagine of, not. Of, I mean, I'm still going to make the cat kind of the way I want, unless the guy says, "Man, it was a really long cat. Can you make him lanky?" which nobody says <laughs> they, they, they want to be right? uh, so uh, that length measurement i'm fascinated by it because i you know you, you kind of get stuck in what you think a cat should be and maybe lose sight of maybe some of these cats are really an inch or two longer i don't know i know that when i've killed leopards in africa i've done full measurement charts on them and measured all the bone lengths and circumferences it's very helpful when you get back here and and you're trying to study and learn um how things are put together because proportionally leopards are shorter limbed beef you know heavier thicker necks there are some differences hmm. well that's interesting so would it be beneficial like let's say somebody were to harvest a nice cat would you encourage them to take those measurements i mean is that going to help the taxidermist as far as replicating no, i'm going to mount it the way i'm going to mount it the way i see it anyways yeah. i mean i <laughs> you can do whatever you want if, anyways if somebody if somebody points out some features on the cat that really stick out to them um you know a broken tooth i've replicated break a broken tooth or um really wide across the head or you know certain things like that Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll try to make sure that they they won't have anything to complain about. But I still, one of the things I really, if a guy tries to get in and micromanage the job too much, I, I try to wrangle some artistic freedom there. Yeah. You know, if he says duplicate that mount, I'll try to do my best. But for the most part, um, I like to have a little bit of freedom. Sure. Otherwise, you tell them mount them, you mount it your damn self. I've actually boxed up a number of cats and sent back to guys. Just not as much anymore. Uh, and it's not that it's not. not you, you didn't say mount it your damn self. Bill I might have. I, or, were you, or were you nice no, about I it? I might have said that. Um, I remember. 
one time this guy had two African lions, a lion and a lioness, and they were the, the lion had a huge mane and it was beautiful. And I was just so far behind as before I had Dave here as a production manager. The guy would call and bug me and and he said, I'm not trying to push you. And finally he called me on a day I was having a bad day. And I just I just said, I've had it with this guy. I said, you know what I was thinking? I there's a box right here in my office. I was thinking about putting those cats in the box and uh, and just sending them to you. And I thought he would say, he would back way down and he goes, yeah, that's why I'm calling. Box those suckers up and get them out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, that was the last time I did that. I'm out on that deal. Live and learn. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, uh, that is different. Like for me, I know it was when, I was just like, I, I didn't want to open mouth. You know what I mean? I was like, Hey, I, you know, I think the open mouth closed mouth is probably feedback for somebody, you know, but that's about the only question you really, you asked me was, was that one. And I can see how that would be a, you know, expectation difference. You know, people like the open mouth, or like the closed mouth. Well, you read people and luckily now I have Dave as our production manager and he knows exactly the right questions to ask. Um, some people are, this is the space I have to work with. The only thing I want is it snarling or it relaxed and do your thing. And then I'll send them, Dave will send them some pictures of examples. And obviously we want to steer them towards the poses that have the least amount of alteration. You just can primp and preen and babysit them a little bit more. When you spend two or three days getting a form, building a form for a cat, by the time you put the skin on, you've invested a lot already. So. I like to uh, get a little bit of freedom, but there are some clients that really want to be involved in every aspect of the, of the mount. And unfortunately, um, well, fortunately for me, I have Dave and he's a pretty patient guy. That's his job. I like this <laughs> so, Dave guy. Get Dave on Dave here. Dave guy sounds pretty cool. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. So um, what about judging a, a cat as far as, in the tree i mean are there things that you look at that uh... you know that black spot is the most important thing um we rarely our cats a lot of times they treat high in thick trees and uh man i've struggled with it i i i have you look at it it's like judging a track you look at a track and you and you immediately assess it in your mind that's a that's a yeah. 130 pound tall you know he's got a, 41 inch stride and his toes are this size and and you assess it and then you tree that cat and you can just see bits and pieces of his face and you look at it and you think to yourself my gosh did is this the same cat we turned out on because this thing looks giant or it looks like a female um as far as judging a cat i, I found if you have binoculars that helps the one thing that i've learned to do i can look at a cat's face if i can get a good look at it and give you an idea if it's a young cat, medium-aged cat, or if it's an old cat. Just, and I'm not always right, but I can get... Uh, so a lot of times I'll snap a picture of it and then zoom in and look at it on my phone. And that gives me muzzle width sometimes and things like that. Um, as far as size, if they're very high in the tree, um, you know, you look at your dog and you're like, oh, that's old blue. He's about 80 pounds. That thing looks twice as big as blue. That never works. When he hits the ground, well, Blue just jumps on him and you can't <laughs> even see the cat. It's just dwarfed. 
right but but uh, i i'm not an expert on that i every time you think you are you, you accidentally shoot the wrong cat or something that that's happened to me more than once and it's it's a disappointment my first my first cougar was that way right i i I joke. It's like the very first time you get there and it's exciting. I mean, like trying to judge a bear, a cat, whatever it is, Bob, it don't matter. Whatever you're trying to judge and treat, it takes. Yeah, bears are tricky too. It, it, it's really, it takes experience basically. And when you first get there and you look at it and you're like, Oh yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, I think that's a, you know, young Tom or, you know, it's an adult Tom. And then when it hits the ground at first and, and it was like, whoa, that's a big, you know, there's, there's a, it was a scrabble that ran off and, and it gets bigger. And then after that point, it gets smaller every, then the next morning, you know, it's like you wake up and the next morning you look like, oh, that's, that's actually a female. <laughs> it's a 75 pound female, you know, <laughs> it's because you said, like you said, that black spot, you know, I mean, you, you try and you learn to read by books and you just, it's hard. It's very yeah, difficult. It does come from experience. I'll tell you when you have a good view of a big old tom and some are just studlier than others you know some are just stacked wrinkles under the eyes and 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 you you know it i mean i i can tell those cats it's those marginal ones that you don't get a great look at and they're young up and comers yep. and you think it's a six-year-old cat and it's a three-year-old you know, four-year-old cat or something but um it's interesting i had a guy call me right before we got on here and uh, I took a buddy of his. He came on a veterans hunt with us here. Uh, they were in Iraq together, and he came and he he told me he trapped a bobcat yesterday in New Mexico where he lives, and told me a little story about it and how his grandfather died yesterday and wanted me to mount it. He said it's it's a big old female cat, and uh, he said twenty six and a half pounds, and I said really. And we got to talk and I said, are, are you sure it's a female? Because, you know, they, their whole package is, is all one thing right up under the anus. And, and uh, he said, well, I felt on the belly and I didn't feel anything. And I says, well, go pull it out of the freezer and look at it. He texted me back. He sent me pictures. It's a nice big old bobcat. He said, sure enough, there's, there's a whole unit of stuff going on down <laughs> up, up, up under his tail. He said, that's how they, that's how yeah. they mark trees, isn't it? I go, yeah. How they do that so but i've actually had biologists <laughs> biologists look at cats and, and sex them wrong you know thinking they're like a dog or a coon or bear yeah yeah it's different i mean you see it and it's just experience that the best i can you know that's the best advice i got i don't got much you I ask got, me i'm like i don't know <laughs> i'm not very good at it but i'm getting better i actually have a, a video of you know we all got our first hounds 30 years ago and I have a video of one of my friends uh, for opening day the first year our dogs were old enough to hunt caught this cat in Idaho yeah. and, and it, it was a stud tom like 160 pound cat just just burly and it hits the ground and he says man that thing looks pretty nice and he runs over there and he starts rubbing his hand up and down its belly there checking for a penis and I mean it's just slick, smooth. And he throws that cat to the ground and he kicks it and he goes, man, I shot a female. <laughs> and I mean, here's a, on video, here's a big, yeah. I, I, we laugh so hard. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Some videos don't age as well, but the story is still the same. How long ago was that? 
maybe well maybe 93 92 yeah see same old story <laughs> like just, oh yeah it, it's amazing like honestly sometimes you just you think back on that and and for the for new people basically it's it's even even to the point of like looking at tracks you know what i mean like i, I took a, a new guy or guy out here and just cruising just like nope 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 whoa and I stopped, you know, I'm like, what do you think that is? And, you know, because I knew, I mean, I just, you know, when you, you know, see it, yeah. 20 miles an hour, I'd stop, you know, but my, my sled didn't stop in time. You know, I'd already passed it by 10 feet. So I stopped, looking behind me. I said, hey, check that track for me. Pretend, like, doing it like I do with a dog, you know, I mean, no, give no, <laughs> mm -hmm. no indication that I know. Damn good and well. That's good. Like, hey, uh, what is that right there, real quick? I'm just sitting there waiting. He's like, I think it's coyote. <laughs> I let the dogs loose. I'm like, we're going to go find out. <laughs> sure enough, it was a cat. You know what I mean? But it's just, you just know. It's, you, can't, you can't teach that. You know what I mean? You just have to look at it and maybe you got to run enough coyotes. I, I don't know what the answer is. But, you can pick that one out. Um, you just learn. You start to, the same with sexing and, and all that. You, you, you kind of just have to have that experience, I think. It's a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I backed up a lot of times trashing on deer tracks and stuff, you know, trashing <laughs> on coyotes. Uh, but especially early in the season, you know. Yeah. When we we're really desperate, <laughs> I've checked a lot of deer tracks. It's like, oh, please. I, I just, Depends on how far you got to go. Between cat tracks, I, the more deer tracks I check, right? If, if I didn't even have dogs, I, I would probably still drive around in the middle of the night right after the fresh snow. I mean, there's nothing like driving up a two, a, a black a paved road or even a dirt road, uh, you know, with two inches of fresh snow on it at 30 miles an hour, just doing an inventory, just seeing right. what's out there. I, I love that. But when it's the snow is a week old and you're in a deer yard and your head's hanging out, and your ears getting wet and, uh, and you know, <laughs> you just, your eyes just hurt. Oh, yeah. Looking in every deer track it's miserable Ugh. yeah um it's, i sent a picture of a truck and it had one of them lights on the side you know you know and, and he's like yeah he said he got this truck from an old hound guy or whatever and i can't figure out what this light is and i'm like that's a miserable <laughs> light right there <laughs> yeah it's for driving around with your head stuck out the window you know you get a nick looking for a track all night you know yeah oh yeah, no kidding. Um, one other topic I wanted to get to you was was trophy care, and I and I actually use that word, but I don't like the word trophy because the, if if you're following the the legislation right now and, and the input, man, people are using. We gotta find a different word for trophy because people are using the word trophy against us as a against us like oh trophy you know and it's like oh it's a trophy hunt every hunt is a trophy hunt you know and it's like man you i mean they're they're weaponizing that word trophy which is frustrating because you go in there and if you go sit in a commission meeting in oregon or washington or wherever it's like trophy hunt trophy hunt trophy hunt and i'm like well you you know like that's not what we as as hunters and houndsmen you know value most is to go out and get the biggest trophy you know it's it's really about the dogs and the experience and and the camaraderie but but when you do harvest the right animal what what are things that people can do to take care of it and get it ready you know for you i guess would be the question field, field care is important there how's that field care, field care. Field there you care. go 
field, field care is important. Uh, it's kind of the foundation uh, in which you build a mount on um, the minute an animal is harvested. Um, granted, we deal with damage. You know, we're basically um, stuck with the natural damage, whether it's a fighting scar or came out of a tree wrong or whatever. We can prevent the dogs from wooling it too much. Uh, I don't like, I, I actually found out something the hard way. I had some dogs wool a bobcat one time, and uh, a friend of mine had this dog that was just one of them slobber and slobber mouth. And he mouthed the cat. He wasn't pulling hair or anything, but he was just biting down on all over it, like every square inch. Not real hard, but when he did, he, he actually packed it up with slobber. And what happened was I didn't comb it out when I sent it to the tannery and they pickled it, tanned it, shaved it and drummed it. And when they drummed it in the tumbler, all those slobber spots should have been combed out. And it, it just had a lot of dreadlocks, like knots, sawdust knots. So letting your dogs, wolf, you know, chew on stuff. Um, I, I try to discourage them. If you have a young dog, let them chew around the ham a little bit, you know, bite down. Don't let them pull hair. Don't let them shake. Um, keep them off the head and the ears. One time, uh, a friend of mine caught this cougar and they put it in the back of his truck where the dogs could reach it through the hole and they chewed the whole nose and face, you know, the whole top part of the muzzle off. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, ne ne never really could repair that fully. So that that's important. And skinning is really critical. I, I mean, if you make a few skinning cuts, it's not the worst thing, but. I'm a ventral incision guy. I don't like a dorsal cut. Um, there's a was, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm no sign. I'm no surgeon here. You gotta, you gotta explain this to me. Jason over there being quiet, like he knows this stuff. I'm I know what a dorsal cut is. I apprenticed with Heath for a while, though. So. Okay, well, let's, let's just talk to the dummy here. <laughs> Focus here for me. And dorsal cut is like a dorsal fin. It, it, you split the cat down the back. Or bear or whatever in. Okay. Um, I don't know who pioneered this this thing, but the the thought is um, you you split it down the back and you leave the legs tubed. You just uh, split a few inches up the legs is the the minimum that you can get the foot turned inside out. It works pretty good on sheep. It works great on mountain goats. These are animals that you're not trying to blow up and make as big as you possibly can, so the guy can strut around when he shows it off. Um, you know, antlers and horns are more important, but um, it's very difficult to, it's more work to tan one, and it's difficult for me to fit them. And so invariably, the few that I've tried end up getting misfitted. I like to open the cat up. So if I get one that's dorsal cut, I'll sew it ahead of time, and then uh, I'll, I'll split it, the legs and split the belly. So I like a ventral incision. I have a skinning diagram on my Instagram page, Catman four hundred six. So, so you you, you prefer they, they almost like a rug when you lay it out. It's like a, a rug. Different than a rug. There's actually a rug diagram. I mean, it, it is, yeah. To what you're saying, yes. But a rug and a, I like a life size skin, skin different than a rug on the front end, particularly on, uh, you know, from wrist through the elbow into the chest. I also like to have the neck tube. I like to have a four-way incision at the, at the lower part of the chest, like a cross, but the top member of the cross is only needs to be an inch long. 
you need to know where those armpit pieces tie in. So I want a four-way intersection, four points that come together rather than a T, which yeah. you can slide to the left or the right. So, but there's a very good skinning diagram. Oh, so the cross is in the middle of the chest, so you know exactly where the middle is? No. It kind of gives you a, a sight? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as left to right, but it doesn't matter right. if it's two inches off to the side. I want to know where, like on a T, there's no way to know where the two armpit pieces are going to line up. But if there's a four-way intersection, everything comes to a, a cross there. And I like to keep on a life okay. size, I like to keep it low in the chest, down by the sternum not high, you know, up, up near the neck junction. So if there's questions, the guys can shoot me a message, uh, email me or whatever. But I have that skinning diagram. And if you're going to skin for a rug, there's in the di one diagram next to it, there are red lines. And you want to stay high on the leg. Whereas if I skin for a life size, you want to be almost like a game head cape. You want to go through the elbow and through the tricep, you know, maybe an inch, an inch up from the elbow, but down the tricep and the back edge of the armpit. You don't cut across the chest. So, and then, and then you cut across. Oh, is it so you could hide the sewing just, a little bit better? Just, so it kind of hides it's it? It's just a lot easier to get to those, uh, that seam to stitch things up when it's that way. When it's in the middle of the leg or the top of the leg, it's harder to hide the seam. But it's also, if you have a leg that's back, it just gives you a lot more access to sewing that seam when it's on the back edge of the leg just so do you do you sew it on the mount or do you sew it before and then stick it the on? skin is draped over it like the cape like superman's cape and you slide the head over and then the, it's, the feet are slid over and then it's all pinned okay. into place and, and you just start sewing from the tail and then move the front legs i mean everybody does i have guys that come and help me sometimes workshops and stuff and everybody has a different procedure i'm pretty adamant about the way i like to do things just because after hundreds and hundreds of them you, you know what kind of problems you can run into if you don't do it in that order but other guys they say it works just fine and if they don't work for me i kind of got to give them some respect and let them do it however it works because there's not just one way right way to do things but there's a lot of wrong. Right. I, I got to, I got to ask a question. Phil. What's that? Do, do your buddies ever ask you to like, like, oh, I got a hole in my jeans. Do you know how to sew? I never even thought about the fact that you're sewing that thing so much. You're, you're, you're probably a pretty good seamstress. Well, I used to be, I haven't sewn on a cat in a long, long time. I mean, I have, I have two guys that do it and, one, the one guy that's really good at it, um, I want right. to move him up, up the ladder, but the, the, his apprentice hasn't, uh, hasn't reached the point where I can turn him, where he can keep up. So the, oh. but, but I, yeah, I have two guys that do about everything. I have two guys that do habitat. One of them handles shipping and the other one handles crating, but their primary job, probably 70% of their work is, is building rock bases and habitat. And yeah, I, I, I have so what great group of guys. Go ahead. No, that's yeah. Okay, so when when I first picked up my my mount, it was like you got this I mean we scaled ours at 144. So our, our largest cat was 144. Um 
good good sized cat, you know what I mean? And so you go pick this thing up from, from the taxidermy and visually you're looking at a hundred and forty four pound but he's got his weight belt on cat with a with a hundred and fifty pound rock that it's sitting on. You know what I mean? You go pick it up and it's like pounds. how much do those things weigh? Is yours does yours have like a mache rock? We I mean we it's been a I don't know how long ago we started going it's a rock. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a rock. It's like a shape. I mean, I guess is it heavy? I mean, it was no. Okay, so it's probably cast rock. So we buy these panels. There's more more and more guys now that are spray foaming these rock panels, and then you break them up and and piece them back together and, and seam them. Um, you, you know, an entire average cougar mount on the wall probably weighs forty five pounds. You know, well between forty five. Yeah, somewhere around forty. Depending on the wood, right? But you're looking at something so massive, and and the rocks look so real. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, it's well, it's you know, impressive. Reality it's like, is, is is not things aren't always what they appear. One time when we were making mache rocks, I I had a client in Montana, Washington, but I did a bunch of stuff for him. He's deceased now. But after he passed, his daughter called me and said, "Would you come and get some of these sheep?" And we had built this big. Uh, he had built a big shelf and we he had a, the fourth largest grand slam or third largest grand slam and we went there and, and me and my one guy tried to get these sheet mounts off the shelf and i don't know how we got them but they were plaster rocks and they were so heavy and uh, this guy didn't work for me during that era and he says these rocks don't look very good but I'll tell you, they're sure realistic weight-wise. <laughs> <laughs> they got something right. They, they yeah. feel right. He says they're probably a little heavier than real raw. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It, that is something that, I mean, it's, it's impressive to the, when you see it. And, and I don't know if you haven't, and I've seen some mounts that were heavy. You know, I mean, I have a, a, a bobcat mount that I had somebody do it was like, Weighs more than my cougar mount, it feels like, you know, trying to mount it up. And I'm like, this is nowhere near as massive of a mount as that is. But, you know, that it, what's the cougar made out of? What's, what's the mount of the cougar? It's like that good stuff, foam. The only difference is it's denser. So polyurethane urethane foam comes in different densities and it's measured by one cubic feet. So, so the insulation is one pound foam, so one cubic foot would weigh a pound. And what these mannequins are made out of is three pound foam, but they're poured into a fiberglass mold under pressure. So they're a little denser than that, but I don't know, you might get six cubic feet, five cubic feet out of a mountain lion. So a form may weigh between six and 10 pounds, you know, pretty light, depending on how big the leg rods are. Yeah. And when did that start changing? Like, so in the, as you're saying in the past, taxidermy was a lot heavier. Foam forms came around in the 70s. Um, they used to use paper mache forms, which were, you know, anywhere from, well, like a half inch thick of red rosin paper, uh, laminated piece mm -hmm. by piece in plaster molds, made one half at a time and then spliced together. And, and I've mounted on, there, there used to be some pretty good paper forms. You have to, be better with your clay work because they're very crude. Um, but the foam coming on the scene changed everything. I mean, you can cut things up and shape them and 
saw them down. You can install rods. You can foam them together. If you wanted to make a cap bigger, longer, you can just cut it in half and pin it together and just pour foam. Put some of that great foam stuff in there and <laughs> fill it up. A little better than great foam. I took a cougar apart that had a bunch of that in there. And I think the guy sewed it up and then just put the nozzle in there. <laughs> just put the nozzle in there, fill it up. Because I mean, a balloon. It, like Arnold, you know, it was <laughs> pumped, pumped up. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's what, I, mean, I was thinking of that, but I was like, no, I've already, I already made the sewing joke, but I was going to, I'm glad you brought that up because that was immediately where my, my thought was going. I'm going to have a bobcat. It's like, right. it's like a balloon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put it on a stick. In the, oh, that's funny. Yeah, that is. I mean, I think I, one of the mounts I have is a, a maybe that paper that you're talking about, the paper mache, because it crinkles a little bit. It just doesn't. But you know, the ones that I've gotten from you are just really full. I mean, they just feel it's impressive. You know? So it, I think it's just some different I, I, options, I guess. I didn't realize well, as far as there's so many options. this goes, most taxidermists should be able to pull that off. Because you can pick up a catalog and order those. Mm-hmm. I mean, the key is fit. Um, I'm trying to get say it, that one more. Say that again. Um, the the key is is fitting, getting a skin to fit a form, and then adjusting the skin to where there's not a lot of wrinkles. With with a cat, right. with a cat, they give and take. Meaning, if you stretch it real long, it'll get narrow. If you stretch it real wide, um, it, it'll, it'll get short. And so that that's why I can make a cat the proportions that I think it should be. And if it's snug, uh, those wrinkles will take care of themselves. Can you, if you, if you overstretch it, can you get it back? What do you mean get it back? Oh, you mean like if, well, I, if like, I stretch a cat really wide? Like if I, if I was like, oh, I, got a, I measured it out 10 foot and got it stretched so I can get my 10 foot mark and, and so I kill a 10 foot cat. And then I hand it to you. Can you get it back That's in shape and use the skin to get back? One of the things that, um, that I train my guys to do is when we flesh and salt the cat, most of the cats we get are brought, are shipped to us frozen or I'll go get it in Canada, whatever they're, they're frozen with a head and feet in. Mm-hmm. And so when we flesh and salt these cats and put them on the salt table, I like to stretch them as wide as I possibly can, because I believe that that cat will have some memory through the tanning process. When you get these leopards from Africa, they don't do that at all. They stretch them long and, uh, it's really hard to get girth out of a leopard sometimes. And, you know, depending on the tan, a lot of them sit over there for a long time in the salt. And, uh, and so they, there's a memory with how they, how they actually are flint dried, salt, salt dried, and then completely dried out. There's, there tends to be a memory there. So I like to stretch them wide. And there's always a struggle with length versus width. I'll get a guy that calls me and says, uh, man, I'm, I'm having problems with this form. Um, the form's only 53 inches long and it's a big cat, but I can't, it's not even it's a foot from going around the belly and, and I have a lot of extra length. I said, what are your skin measurements? Well, it's 70 inches long and it's 22 inches wide <laughs> and, and it should be like 53 by 33, you know, and it's right. because that skin is very distorted lengthwise and uh, especially with front legs. Um, tanneries won't shave a skin really thin a lot of times. And, uh, I've actually remounted a number of cats, leopards in particular, where 
once we've soaked them up and pulled them off of there and reshaved them, there, there's a picture on my Instagram page of the leopard. We test fit on a mannequin and the mannequin that it came off of. And I mean, it looks like twice as big of a cat. And it was because we retanned it and, sh and shaved it again. And that thing just let out like crazy. I mean, it got burly. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it's because they maybe stretched it too long? Uh, it was too thick. They basically mounted it too thick and thought, man, this is all the size okay. I can get out of it. And they used a pretty big form, uh, but they had to whittle the legs way down. And when we got through with, when we got oh. through with the skin, I mean, it just swallowed that form. So we had to build a whole new form. Because when you thin the hide, you can get more stretch out of it. For sure. It's just like pizza dough. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Taxidermy shops are cool, man. Like that's some of the best times was just hanging out in the taxidermy shop. That's because you didn't have to deal with the clients. True. <laughs> <laughs> just, or, the, or do the work. You just hold the beer. Yeah. <laughs> or the help. I was just sitting there. Phil's <laughs> <laughs> over there going like, yeah, I got a couple of you guys around it. To get the hell out of I my... I really don't. You know, we, we, the shop is on a lot near my property, kind of up out of the way. I don't have a sign up. I'm not in the phone book. Um, so really, I've been here. I built this shop in 96. And I mean, there are people I run into all the time in town. Say, now, which shop are you? Because there's three or four good-sized shops in town. And I tell them, and they're like, what? Or somebody will come and knock on the door, uh, and they'll open the door. And it just looks like a metal door. And they'll open the door, and their eyes will get how long you been doing this here? I, 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 I didn't know this was here. Right. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's my point. That's what I was trying to keep on the down low so don't tell yeah. anybody. No, that's funny. Like, like the guys that, came, that I, came to see your showroom. Yep. Yeah, we had a couple of guys that uh, they were um, traveling through. And they're like, yeah, we're going to come down and see you for vacation. And I'm thinking... You might want to have something else planned <laughs> for your vacation because your wife is going to be really pissed. You're <laughs> coming to our shop and be like, hey, how's it going? It'll take five minutes. Yeah, we're a little shop here. Not the um, new one. The new one might take 10 minutes to get through. Yeah, we got uh, flooring. I'll probably take the keys over Monday, I think, the first of February. And we got some racking to put in. So we'll have, a, we'll have an official shop next. We're actually going to have a little more room and get off of the property here. I remember years. But I'm still going to work from home. I'm going to work too. from home still yeah. as much as I can. I remember in 96, I judged a, the Nationals in Columbia, Missouri, and I rented a car. I had to drive from Kansas City or something. I went to John Wick's warehouse, you know, his, his store. Yeah. And, man, I was like a... Wick's Outdoor oh, Works. Yeah, outdoor Works. And I was like a kid in the kids. You know, just... Just kind of green at it. Bought a couple of collars and there was this old coon hunter helping me, asking me about my dog. And was, oh man, I got a young one. She's gonna be a dandy. She was a cold, but <laughs> you know how <laughs> you, you know how every young dog just he knew that already. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of smiled and nodded. But but you know how every every young dog you ever get when you first started out was. Oh man, this one's going to be the second coming of a banjo or something. They don't all make. Not every dog. I got. I got a pup right now that. I mean, I was like, 
I hate this. <laughs> I hate her. <laughs> that doesn't mean she won't be somebody's darling. And actually, right. no, you, well, I, it, was, it was funny because I, I was uh, talking to somebody and uh, I said, I just don't like her. Um, and I'm, you know, she's too young to make a decision or whatever. But, and somebody was like, well, if she turns out where you can be okay. I said, well, she's going to kind of do better than turn out because I already got a negative opinion of her, you know, but, but to be honest with you, yesterday, I come out and I left, I was petting that dog yesterday. Cause I was like, man, she really worked hard. And it's like, that's how you earn. <laughs> she, she's changing my, I got the negative opinion and she's starting to grow on me. I'm like, okay, that's probably a good position for you. You, you probably should do more of that. <laughs> but um, I want to go back to John, John Wick. What was his shop like? So give me a, give me a visual. Like he's like, I always thought, you know, I always said if Wick's outdoor works would have hit the internet, we may not be in business because I mean, I ordered my stuff from, from Wix. You know what I mean? That was just the where the place you bought your collars, you know? And, and the fact that he closed, you know, he just canceled it. Um, in my opinion, he left a hole that we filled in some respects. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I just remember it was like walking into the catalog. I mean, everything in the catalog was there. There was roll cages and live traps and they just had, every color lead and collar imaginable and they had uh you know the old press or engraver whatever set up right there you could order tags and and then rows and rows and rows of wildlife collars and johnson collars and maybe maybe not john i mean it was like walking into the catalog you know when, when you grew up in an era where you had to write letters and order stuff sight unseen from except from a little maybe a photograph or an illustration like those old bill bolton catalogs or whatever to yeah. walk in that store it was like it was awesome and and you know that so was it a storefront it was it was it was like a big metal building a big commercial looking building from what i remember it was out on some two-lane blacktop rural road um, kind of out in the country and uh, I'm sure they had all their shipping in the back. I think they did everything from that one location. And, uh, but, but the, uh, the retail end of it, I mean, basically had everything that they stocked on display there. And it, it, it was yeah. cool. And I mean, it wasn't like nowadays you could do it with lots of graphics and, and you know, a, a lot of color corporate sponsorship, you know, corporate Garmin can do some things, but it was like wooden dowels with piles of collars on a great big plywood wall. And, and you could just go pick up because back then you kind of wanted to pick your frequencies, stuff that you could dial oh, yeah. in on the blue box real quick. So you could go through all the, all the, and pick the collars that were close to what you wanted. See, and I, uh, we missed that whole section, thankfully, because I don't want to be in that, <laughs> in that business of, you know, like, I, I'm guessing they had like this big Rolodex of customers yeah. because you would go in there and say, oh, just dodge my collars. And they knew yeah. what collars you had. And I don't think, and I maybe we have Mark, we got to get Mark Zepp on here. He worked. I he love worked listening, for John listening to Mark um, talk about working yeah. for John. Those are some of his best stories. Yeah. But so we'll get some inside information, but. I don't think they were all computerized. Like, let me just get your your file. You know, I don't get that feeling. I got a feeling like it was like a card. That was like, oh, Woodbury. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, okay, you got 055 and 
which I still remember some of my callers. It's just amazing how many years ago. Yeah. Um, I can tell you what, what dog to what frequency, you know, but, but they kept track of all that. And I, I look at that now and go, Oh my gosh, that would be misery for me. I mean, we would figure out a system and I would right. do it with a computer. Not <laughs> you know post I, mean? Not, I mean, I mean, I know how to do it, but I won't figure out how to do it because that would have been the biggest thing for me is to, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine using a rotary phone, but we didn't complain about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. At least we didn't have to crank one, you know. <laughs> well, that's, it, it was funny talking yeah. with Steve, you know, because when they made the shift into the internet world, you know, because the local competition, I mean, really, like, like Buddy said, what if John would have made that jump? Or Boatman's. I mean, I came into this sport a lot later than both of you probably. And I remember, like, I had to order my stuff from Boatman's is where I, I used a lot of stuff from. But, you know, the internet, they just never wanted to go there, it didn't seem like. And they still did great business right up until the end. You know? Yeah, but not what it could have been. No. Just the reach. Yeah, we would not have, or would not have the, the I just wouldn't have had the, the schedule or the, the platform mm -hmm. that I did. If somebody like that, there was just a hole in the internet that nobody was doing hound supplies good on the internet. Like, you know, there's some people who had crappy websites and, and of course we, in the beginning we did too, but we took that step and, and I don't want to say that, you know, some of the people followed us or whatever, but that hole, you know, if they would have invested in that, they would have had yeah, it would be different. a different story today. Very few people could have the vision to see how it was going to translate in day-to-day -day life. And I mean, you look at what it is now. I mean, by the time you get some gray in your beard, uh, you'll wish you'd have probably come out with the first transgender callers for dogs. I'm probably saying I should know more about TikTok. Like, yeah, you probably wish you wouldn't make so much fun of TikTok, man. TikTok, whatever. I mean, if it, oh, well, Phil, let's start wrapping this up. I want to hear, like, we need to hear a good hunting story and a good train wreck story. Yeah. Let's start with the, the hunting story because I want to, I, I want to, I always, I always like ending knowing that everybody, other people suffers <laughs> as much as I do. So, one of my um, fondest memories was uh, I have a friend that lives on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. And he's had hounds for a long time and had all sorts of stories, adventures, you know, had wolverines work his dogs over and just all kinds of stuff. But um, one year, this guy called me and asked me about going on a cat. And I said, well, call this guy on the Blackfeet. He, he's not far from you. And uh, he, if you can be flexible, he'll call you when, he, when it snows and you guys can go look for a cat. And he called me about middle January. And he says, Phil, I've been trying to get with this guy. We went one day, but the weather hasn't been good. He called me and he said he cut a tom track. And uh, I just, I'm not so sure if I, I want to drive all the way up there, the wind's howling. And I, I said, well, hold on. So I called him and I asked him, uh, I said, do you, do you think this is a big cat? And he goes, yeah, I think it's a pretty good tom. I found it. I'm talking to him Monday night. He found it Monday morning. So the track was made Saturday, Sunday night. And I says, okay, well, I'll get this guy to come and I'll come over there. So I headed over there, drove, got there about midnight. 
he said the wind was blowing. He was you never seen wind. It was 60 miles an hour. And he said, hopefully we can find some part of the track. But it walked this valley, and the cat went into his uncle's barn and uh, slept there a little bit. And anyways, we, we finally found where there was some of the track. Uh, he said he was sure he had it boxed. And so there was a, probably a three-square-mile area uh, where he didn't see it cross the road. But, I mean, the way the wind was blowing, you, an elephant could have slipped out of there. And <laughs> so we couldn't find where it left. So we put dogs, some dogs, or two dogs, and they went in there and boogered around. And finally, they hung up on, a, on an old kill. And we got in there, and there was a female and a kitten that had been on that kill, but they couldn't move it. And eventually, um, one of the dogs, his, he had a female dog. She left out of there. Now, we've been four hours trying to sort this. And she crossed the road and headed up the river. And um, I said, all we could find was deer track. I said, man, are you sure she's not running a deer? And he goes, well, she probably is. She was raised on the reservation. So we chased her down, and we, we found the lion track. It took us a long time. And so I threw my old Roy dog down, and they trailed that thing for 13 miles. And it was minus 10, wind a howling. And his uncle, who was in his 80s, hopped on a sled. We're like, how do we get to them? And he says, come on, and I'll show you. He got on this old sled and just wound her up. And we got way up in these great big bluffs. And it was, it was just epic. Uh, the dogs got separated, and one of them was down. My dog was down on the, the river. And we're like a mile and a half above them on these bluffs, looking down into the river in uh, St. Mary's River. And, and looking straight across is Chief Mountain, which is an iconic mountain just outside of Glacier Park. It's incredible. And uh, we sat up there just shivering. And the dog caught that lion in an oxbow on, on the river in a, like a little willow bend and fought with that lion. And then he finally gave up and would start going back. And I'm like, oh, man, he quit it. And by now, it's Jim, we turned out at 7. By now, it's 3 o'clock. And then he would make another run in it. And when he did, he'd push it a little farther. Finally, he got it pushed up to the timber and treated the old guy. He says, I, I can get us pretty close to that. So we sledded down and all the way around and we sledded within about three yards of the tree. And the terrain varied between dry ground and six feet of snow. I mean, it was deep. The wind had let up and got to the tree and killed the cat and had a hard time getting it out of their hole. But I just remember driving home that night going through East Glacier and along the south end of the park, just cold. By the time I got home, the, the cat was frozen solid. And I just remember being so tired. It just felt so just relieved. It was, it was an epic adventure. Um, it, it worked out really well in the end. But it, was, it was just one of those things you never forget. Yeah, you, you, so you're looking at a dog and you're thinking, how in the hell what? am I going to fix this situation? Makes him want to do that. 
Right, right. Like we can do this mm-hmm. for fun. <laughs> like what, what, at some point, you question the the yeah, fun. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Probably one of my most memorable hunts. Yeah. <laughs> And that's like, you know, everybody talks about the fact, that, oh, yeah, sometimes it can be the most easiest hunt in the world or it can be the most epic hunt. And you just never know what you're going to get when you let the dog go. Yeah. Sure. All right, Phil, we want to hear a train wreck story. This isn't a total train wreck. I've had some bad ones. As you know, I've been wolfed. And uh, Is it going to make my ego feel better? That, that's really all I care about right now. I just want to make you laugh. That's all. <laughs> okay. Oh, they'll take that. That's a, that's a good way. That's medicine. We were in the yak. It was me and uh, the Amish assassin. There was a couple other buddies with me. And that weekend, Nate Lopez came up. And uh, Nate, as you know, he, he, he likes to be called the Latin assassin in our circle. <laughs> yeah. He's a yeah, lot he, of fun. He seems like a fun guy. That to... He's a lot of fun. And he's got really good dogs. He hunts a lot. Um, I don't know what he does. I think he's a part of a drug cartel or something because he doesn't have a job. He's, he's <laughs> stripper, he, drug cartel, something, something illicit. Well, at least I used to think he was. Maybe a mafioso hitman or something. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we we found this old grubby lion track and we had a tag, and uh, uh, actually the Amish assassin's cousin had a tag, and, and we started working on this thing. And before long, we had dogs all over the side of this mountain and we had everybody was out there on foot and trying to sort it out and finally it went down and it crossed the river and so it was getting late in the day we, we'd been on this thing for six hours maybe in tough conditions and so m- me and my buddy went around to the other side and I, I always take burritos make up a bunch of burritos and and I had some burritos warming and these guys, I tracked them. They finally came out. Oh, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait Phil. We're we're gonna we're gonna get an education here for new new people. How are you warming your burritos? Okay, so I used to use the old muff pot method, but if you don't sled that day, we've got this little. It's a trucker's roaster, and it looks like a tackle box, but you plug it into your cigarette lighter, and you get seven burritos in there. And you plug that thing in, and you get piping hot burritos in 20 minutes. You, you don't want to don't oh, really? leave them in there too long. Like, go to a tree and leave it plugged in, because it'll, it'll burn. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you. I, I throw mine on my engine, and sometimes if it gets a little too hot, I, I, I burn them. But anyways, that for, is, is for these new guys, man, that warm burrito is one of the best things you can have in Yeah, it? we call that thing the taco box. <laughs> like a tackle a tackle box, but we call it the taco box. So yeah, I, perfect. All right, well, get back to your train. I, 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 I had to. We had to educate some young people on that. I one. may not have uh, dogs that contribute a whole lot anymore, but man, I bring some killer burritos. I, I smoke brisket <laughs> and pulled pork and green chilies, good stuff. So, anyways, I they came out on the road and they Nate and uh lester and the amish assassin came out on the road and they were just dragging and they're like the first thing out of nate's mouth is hey man you got any more of them burritos <laughs> so, so i'm like yeah, here you go Kumpa. so i i gave them each a burrito and we're still watching the dogs and they went down the river and they made a loop and they came back and they treed and there was a little bit of daylight left so we we're going to try to kill this cat and by the time the snow was deep on this side, and by the time we got rounded up, uh, 
it was just about dark and we got caught in this big swamp and fought our way through it. Luckily we had GPSs because with telemetry, we'd have probably never got there. And all of a sudden we come out into this clearing, find a, a road, cross the road and we're in this clearing and here's this big, beautiful house in the middle of this clearing. We can't hear the dogs and it says they're like 62 yards away. And we're thinking, what in the world? My other buddies, they were kind of back a little bit, the, the one guy that brought the gun. And uh, anyways, at this point, we realized these dogs are in this guy's garage. And so we go knock on his door and we see him in the house. It's got a big, beautiful log home, lots of glass. We see him on a desktop in his house and knock on his door. He comes to the door with his, a pistol on his side, his hand on the pistol, like he's going to draw on me. And, I back up and he starts backing us kind of down his sidewalk to the driveway and we're talking. He starts asking questions. Who are you? Uh, are any of you Dwayne? And Dwayne's like, yeah, that's me. You know that uh, dogs, I just said, hey, we just want to get our dogs. We don't want any problem. And uh, he starts getting really belligerent. He says, are those dogs, do those dogs mean anything to you? We're like, yeah. And he says, well, how about giving me some money for those dogs? And this thing went on for quite a while. And he started to tell us that, you know what happens to dogs that end up running loose here? They end up dead. Well, that's just not the right thing to say. I got pretty, I got <laughs> no. pretty fired up. And I, you know, the more it escalated, the more he started yelling. And then he's got his phone tape recording me in, in my face, holding the phone up. And uh, I was... I was pretty disappointed. I, I thought for sure when that guy just got louder and louder that my, my amigo over there, that Mexican uh, hitman, was going to take him out like just, get, Nate, come on, take this guy out. And, and Nate was... <laughs> Do it, mate. This, Nate, this is your job. Nate was like, um, he was afraid that guy was going to ask for a green card or something because he literally, he literally <laughs> like, Mr he wanted us to apologize. And Nate was like, we're sorry, sir. We're sorry. And I was getting madder. It was, it was getting really out of hand. So finally, and the guy with the gun, he just ducked back into the woods because we didn't want him to know we were armed. So things didn't escalate. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was frustrating and, and not knowing fully the law in Montana. I just know you, you couldn't take my cow or my horse and put it in your garage uh, and not, and not right. give it back to me but he was not going to give them back to us. And so I said, I'm done here. I'll be back with the sheriff. You know, there's no phone service up there. Right. So we left, we got about 400 yards down his long driveway and here come his truck. And he pulled up there, opened the back of his truck and let the dogs out. But uh, it, it was, uh, and this guy wasn't, you know, some backwoods guy. He was an airline pilot, like a retired airline pilot and uh, from Atlanta and had, I'm a, I don't know, he just kind of brought some of his city with him. And it, it wow. and I bumped into him a couple of times and, and just really tried to peace with him, but he, he's, he's a broken guy. <laughs> but I was, I, I really thought, yeah. I thought uh, Nate, Nate was just going to cut that guy, just pull out a knife and cut him. And, and I, I was so disappointed. I had to be the bad guy. And then, and then now I, 
We might have, we might have to get Nate on here to to or, or we yeah we need Nate to <laughs> to validate this story. You got to get Nate, to, you know. And and they they were just the niceness, you know. Hey, so Nate, were you really a chicken, or was it <laughs> what was what was going through your mind, Nate? I think since I was the one that was all fired up, he was playing good houndsman, bad houndsman. He had he had to be the he was probably like, come on, Phil, tag it's me. <laughs> Let's switch. You be the nice guy. I'll be the bad. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it, it's it's a frustrating story. I I filed a complaint with the sheriff's office, and and I still don't know about Nate or <laughs> about the guy. No, no, that was immigration with Nate. <laughs> okay, all right, got you. No, no, um, you know, just that he took our dogs and wouldn't give them back, and and I I don't know all the laws. I called the the sheriff, the former or the sheriff at the time who has hounds, and he said you can walk in there and get your dogs, but you know you can't drive in or take a gun but it, it was so frustrating i stewed about that for a long time and i know there are guys that i mean it would have escalated um, yeah it, that could have been a really bad deal for for some guys like that would luckily been, nate was there so he kept everyone calm <laughs> he, he kept, kept it all he kept calm. saying come on phil let's let's go <laughs> <laughs> we don't they weren't that good of dogs anyways Let them have them. i got 18 more in the truck <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got enough to catch a cat we, we go on that's what cody's oh, been man. bugging me to say we should do one with nate because they're they're pretty good oh, nate. oh you got it. nate's a blast yeah yeah no that's actually i'm glad you mentioned that because we, we gotta put him on on he'll be a fun if you one. got some maybe we should try and do him in person i need to get over there and, and you should uh, take some dogs. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to find time to hunt close, let alone travel any further. Yeah. So, well, Phil, like you want, you want to give a little plug for your, your business? He doesn't want anymore. 50% <laughs> off discount, right? You know what? I'll give you guys a tip. Don't call me with any more Bobcats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get, I get five, bobcat calls a day and and i we used to do all of them and now we just can't i've got a a, a guy in uh, indiana abel average that i send a bunch of clients to he's probably going to go through the same burnout that i am but you know 50 60 bobcats and lynx a year it you know the cougars are a much higher priority for us so um yeah that that's one tip um if you're don't not sure, me. don't don't call Phil with a bobcat and ask for a deal. That's what that's what you're saying. We're about three grand. No fifty percent off coupon for you know the bobcat like W bobcat deal fifty percent off. I, I, first, I'm getting old and tired. You know, it's I it's a, <laughs> a long time ago were those days when every time the phone rang, you got excited. Somebody's bringing me something dead. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's coming we got another one i don't just pick up the phone and say or tap out an email and say garmin send me 500 more of those callers or right unit. <laughs> everything we do is done by hand one at a time and so there's a limit to what we can do yeah i can uh we were talking about that in the beginning like you, you the business and and it made me makes me think sometimes on business is the structure of a business that that we have is able to expand so I can get more people to take care of things and stuff. Whereas 
there's some businesses that that's very difficult to do. Um, yours would be one of them. You know what I mean? You can't just hire a bunch of people and, and just expect them to take over what you do because it, you got to be really hands-on. And so uh, sometimes in, in not just what you do, but there's a lot of business models that I look at and go, I've never even thought about it until like having this grow and talking to you and, and other business owners about their struggles. And so, yeah. And it, var- it varies yeah, a lot. Even in taxidermy, uh, Dwayne Dewey, he's, he's a sheep guy in Cody, one of my old, oldest friends. And, and he has, he's a very gifted sculptor. So he's developed systems with his sculpting in his business that allows him to get guys that are really strong at skin application that may not have near the anatomy knowledge that he has, but it's, there's enough of him in each form that they can assemble the parts and they look just like a Dwayne Dewey sheet because there's that much of him in there. And that, that's kind of what I do when I alter mannequins and develop their mouth parts and sculpt heads and things. I just haven't been able to do what he does. I, I have to be involved in every project fairly deep. Yeah. So. Interesting. Well, do we miss anything? Did you want to say anything before we go? No, I think we got it covered. I appreciate the fact that you let me have a do-over on this. <laughs> I must have been having a bad day that day. You know what? One of my favorite sayings is we do it nice because we do it twice. That's interesting because our saying is if it's worth doing, it's worth doing twice. There you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. We do a lot of do-overs in taxidermy. <laughs> All right, guys. Perfect. Hey, thanks, Bill. Have a good Take care. <laughs>